Mark 5, 22 and 24. Watch this. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. What an amazing faith proclamation. Just come touch her, and she'll be whole. Verse 24. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. So that ought to give you insight in how to getting Jesus to follow you. Those statements of faith in the face of adversity, when you're stepping outside the parameters of ordinary, for a ruler of the synagogue went to Jesus. Facing the accusation, the attack, the criticism of those he served with. But his faith in Christ was so strong, he was willing to confront all of the criticisms, personal attacks, and say, she's dying at the point of death. But if you come lay hands on her, she'll be fine. I think we need to set some parameters on the supernatural in the next few weeks. Lord, if you just do this. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed and thronged him. Watch this. Mark 5 and 35, if you... Follow along. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house a certain, look at this, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest the master any further? Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the master any further? I'd like to preach for a few moments on a subject entitled, Not Invited. But I can't stay away. Turn to your neighbor. Say, not invited. But I can't stay away. You may be seated. Within the confines of our crisis moments. And the nightmare seasons in which we live. God still speaks. But all too often the internal antagonist. Breaks through loud and clear, demanding to be heard. But the simple truth is this. Within each of us, God's voice can coexist within the manacle chatter that is our everyday life. And God has given each of us the ability to choose the dialogue which we believe and we respond to. Choosing what to believe, moment by moment, and acting upon what you hear is the most important spiritual ability you will ever develop. You must win the war of words inside your soul. You must learn to defy the inner critic. For if you allow thoughts to flow unchecked, A steady drip of lies will create wrong patterns within your mind and behaviors. And all too often, God's voice is obscured by the mental static that is in our lives. Negative noise drowns out the positive reinforcement of God's love. And before you can do the will of God, your identity always precedes your activity. This father is caught between a message and the miraculous. 
a miracle or defeat. And our ability to hear God's voice above all others will be the difference in the life or the death of our faith. Faith. It's given to every human being. It's not quantified. Only the measure of faith. The measure of faith. And the key is training your mind to understand the difference in God's words and the enemy's accusations. You must condition your heart to respond exclusively to God's words and God's promises. You see, the enemy's threats are always embedded in lies. But God's word have their basis and their root in truth. So the enemy has designed his accusation to paralyze your future. But God's words are created to mobilize your tomorrow. The enemy's threats always condemn us vaguely. But God will whisper instructions to us specifically. You want to know if it's God's voice or the enemy's? Is it vague or is it specific? Because the enemy's threats always conspire to diminish our hope. But not God. God speaks words that challenge us to believe for a higher level. The enemy's threats are always aimed to take you out. But God's words are directed to take you higher, move you farther, develop you more maturely. God always speaks a better word to do a greater work in your life. Mark 5 and 36, hear it clearly. And as soon as Jesus heard the word was spoken, he saith to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. It's the words of Jesus in crisis. Be not afraid, only believe. You can read it in Matthew chapter 8. The disciples are in a boat. Jesus is sleeping. He wakes up and says, peace be still. It's the words of Christ in a storm. You can read it in Matthew 14. When the winds and waves are boisterous, they're crying for fear. And they said, is it really you? He said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Every time you see crisis in the word of God, you will hear Jesus speaking Peace, comfort, and encouragement. So if the voice you hear in your storm is not one of peace, not one of encouragement, not one of inspiration, not one commanding the fear to abate, it's not the voice of God. You can relax. God has not designed your storm to destroy you, but take you higher to another level. Be not afraid, Jarius. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. It's a word to every believer in this house. Don't be overwhelmed by the circumstance you're in. Be not afraid. A believer needs to hear it very clearly. Be at peace. God is fighting for you. While Jesus is moving rapidly toward Jairus' house, with a crowd thronging him, the word said, a woman presses in sick, spent all that she had, not better, but rather growing worse. She presses her way through the obstacles and touches the hem of his garment. For the writer said that when she heard of Jesus, she said to herself, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. 
And she set the parameters on the supernatural without permission. She did not ask him, if I touch you, will you make me whole? She did not say, if it's your will, please heal my body. But this woman set the parameters on the supernatural with her own faith. If I touch, he will. I wonder what would happen today if in our faith we set those same type of parameters. If I pray, he will. If I dance, he will. If I give, he will. If I worship, he will. If we could take the restraints off our faith and banish the fear from our experience. And when she heard of Jesus, that's why it's so important that you hear the right words. Because if you hear the wrong concepts, it will limit your ability to believe. And when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and said, if I but touch him clothes I shall be whole I wonder what would happen today if someone said if I get to that altar God will fill me with the spirit I wonder what would happen today if someone said if I can get to the front of this church pain will leave my body you say it's not that easy oh but it is and as she touches the hem of his garment instantly the word said virtue left his body and Jesus spun in the press and said who touched me The disciples, ever ready with a quick explanation, said, Lord, you ask who touched you? Look at the throng around you with their indiscriminate touch. And Jesus says, no, this was no casual bump, no indiscriminate touch. But this was a touch with purpose, filled with passion, desire, and pursuit. And when she touched me, virtue flowed out of me. Ah, hear me. The miracle is less dependent on your God and more dependent upon you. Can we shift the parameters of our thought process? and believe that God is fully able to deliver us from what we're in and if we touch him we shall be whole understand the uniqueness of this miracle spent all that she had on a solution that consistently evaded her she is ceremonially unclean that means she cannot worship on her own that means she cannot enter the temple of God that means she cannot offer sacrifice through the priest to atone for her family anything she touches she defiles if you sit in a chair she sat in you're unclean and the priest must cleanse you and you must have sacrifices made for your uh, uncleanliness Uh, if you drank from a cup if she prepared dinner and you ate at her table unclean if you laid down upon her bed unclean if she held her children unclean uh, if she held the hand of her husband unclean but one touch from this woman does not defile God Uh, in fact uh, when she touches him her defilement is removed Uh, her uncleanliness is taken away for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. There's nothing you're going through. There's no sin, no defilement, no iniquity, no failure, no disease. But when you touch him, he cannot remove from you. Hear me clearly. It's a lesson to every believer. Anyone can come in contact with Jesus. He does not reject. He does not refuse. But there's nothing we carry. That defiles him. But on the contrary, instantaneous redemption. Now she can go back in and worship. Now she can reconnect with her family. Now there is no more loneliness and isolation. Nothing we carry defiles Jesus Christ. Passionate pursuits 
a woman, a woman pushing past the reality of the medical doctors and their failure to alleviate her suffering. A man pushing past the restraints and the restrictions upon his religious boundaries. A man, a practicer of religion in the synagogue, surrounded by cynical and unbelieving Pharisees, but pushes through their negativity. It's a lesson to every believer in this house. Let nothing keep you from Jesus Christ. Let nothing hinder your faith. Let no words stop your progress. But keep believing. Keep pressing. There's more for you. Jesus arrives at Jairus' house. Mark 5 and 37 tells the story. For it reads this way. And he suffered no man To follow him. Save Peter, James, and John. The brother of James. Peter, James, and John come with me. And he leaves the other nine disciples to mill outside the house. I've often wondered what it must have been like to have been one of the other nine. As three are singled out for something unique and special. I've often wondered the pressure they applied upon those three. What happened in that room? What did you see? What did he do? Uh, People weeping. Jesus responds to their weeping uh, and their grieving and said, Why stand you here crying? The daughter's not dead but sleeps. And the scripture said they laughed him to scorn. They laughed him to scorn. Uh, uh, How many people still do that today when we make declarations of faith about the situation we're in? That's why it's imperative. Get people around you that believe God can do anything. Get people around you that will still rebuke the devil. That will still pray in the name of Jesus. Still plead the blood of the Lord. Get individuals around you that believe the supernatural still happens. For the environment you're in does matter. Jesus pushed the doubters away. And he takes the little girl by the hand and says this word. Arise, arise. Mark 5 and 42 has the story. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them, look at this, verse 43, and he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and he commanded that something should be given her to eat. And he charged them clearly, explicitly, no man should know what happened in this room. In other words, don't tell anybody what you just saw. You'll also find the story in the book of Luke. Luke 8 and 51. And when he came into the house, watching this, he suffered no man to go in except Peter, James, John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. If I was you, I would select my friends carefully. For blessed is the man that walketh not In the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth he meditate day and night. Uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But cursed is the man that hears ungodly counsel. And if you notice it's a spiritual progression. As the company decreases in its compatibility. Sin increases its hold. Uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not. He's moving forward. He has momentum. He's going somewhere. 
But then he's standing after he hears the wrong counsel. He starts standing around in agreement with sinners. And no longer is he moving forward. He's standing. And if he stays there long enough, he'll sit in the seat of the scornful. And the things that used to bring delight in the house of God no longer bring delight. Their duty, their drudgery, their frustration, they're worrisome, and they're bothersome. And before long, they will criticize what they used to find so beautiful. That's why I'm so careful who has my ear. That's why when I'm serious, about the supernatural give me a Peter, James and John but notice there's two others there Jesus, Peter, James and John and the parents you will not find a miracle in the New Testament that Jesus performs with a child that the parents are not present did you hear me? Don't expect your children to get the supernatural parent if you're not in the middle of it. Don't expect the supernatural to visit your family if you're not involved. Don't expect your child to come back from the dead if you're not connecting with Christ. Don't expect a miracle to occur in your family if you're not right in the middle of it. They're not, they will not shout unless you shout. They will not pray unless you pray. They will not dance unless you dance. I don't know about you, but I want my children uh, to have a measure of God that's greater than mine. Uh, So I'm going to sing and worship. Uh, I'm going to pray and fast. Uh, I'm going to interact and commit and disciple my life. For there is not a miracle with children that the parents are not there. You should make a commitment today. Not only will I surround my life uh, with the right voices. uh, When my child faces the crisis that would steal their future. I'm going to have the right praying people around me. And I'm going to be there with my child. But you write it down. There will be a crisis that threatens to take your children from you. For if the adversary had his way. We'd lose our kids to drug addiction. We'd lose them to immorality. We'd lose our daughters as prostitutes and our sons as whoremongers but not me friend oh not me I'm going to be with Jesus in the room and I'm going to have some people who still believe the dead come back to life eyes are opened and ears are unstopped You ought to make a commitment now. Me and my family are going to have something we've never had. My family's going to experience something we've never experienced. Dad, I'll take it a little farther. It ought to be you pursuing the supernatural. It ought to be you, not mama's prayers. I know you're hardworking. I know you're laying up treasure in the bank. But let me tell you, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have his spirit. Dad, pass down to your children. But you will pursue Christ in your family. Push past the inhibitions. Push past the peer pressure of people you work with. Push past the negativity of our society. It's time, Dad, stop being silent. If you believe that, you ought to shout yes. It was Daddy that sought Jesus out. It was Daddy that defied tradition. It was daddy that would provoke the ire of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it was daddy that Jesus followed home. Dad, you can bring Jesus Christ right into the middle of the chaos that is your kids. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. That is a word for some fathers in this house right now. Make a decision to bring God home. Luke tells us the story. Chapter 8 and 51. It's not just Mark. 
Luke said, and when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in. Save Peter, James, and John, and the father, and the mother, and the maiden. Watch this, Luke 8 and 56. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Something unusual is happening there. Something that only a few select individuals are privy to. Don't tell anyone. Tell no man. Peter, James, and John. It happens again. Luke 9 and 28, the scripture says, And it came to pass eight days after these sayings, He took Peter, James, and John, and went up to a mountain to pray. No one else. The other nine are left below. And Peter, James, and John are escorted by Christ to a mountain. And the scripture said the very fashion of his countenance was altered. And that his raiment became white and glistening. And he that talked with two men there on that mountain, Moses, gone on before, who died as part of the plan of God. Perhaps Moses spoke of his death. It will unfold correctly when you're gone. The plan will work. Don't worry. What's coming is greater. Elijah, perhaps he spoke of the future. Greater things than you accomplished, they're on the way. A double portion, that's perhaps what Elijah said. A double portion. A greater anointing, more miracles. For Jesus himself said, greater works than these shall ye do. But watch what Luke records happened on that mountain. Luke said in chapter 9 and verse 32, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and two men that stood with him. Understand clearly all they saw. Glory and two men. They never heard the conversation. They were asleep. There was a cloud and a voice and they missed it. Luke 9 and 36. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close. Listen. And they kept it close. And they kept it close. And told no man in those days... The things which they had seen. And they told no man the things they saw. If you look and you go to the book of Matthew. Chapter 26, 36 and 37. The Bible said. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And saith unto the disciples. Sit ye here a while while I go and pray. And he took with him. Here it goes again. Peter. The two sons of Zebedee. James and John. And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Peter, James and John. And Jesus' soul was sorrowful and heavy. And he asked them, watch while I pray. Stay with me while I intercede. And he prays those words that are so pivotal in our instructions of learning how to submit to God's plan. If it be possible, if there's any other way than the cross, let's do it. But if not, if the cup I must drink, thy will be done. And the Bible says in verse 39, and he went a little farther. And he went a little farther. You ready? Verse 40, and he finds them asleep. He awakens them. Verse 43, he finds them asleep again. And while they sleep, 
Matthew says, he said, sleep on. Sleep on. Verse 46, and he awakens up Peter, James, and John and said, the hour is upon us. The three, the three he's put so much personal investment into. The three, he has placed valuable time and resources, instructions who have been privy to personal insights none of the other disciples received. The three, he's no doubt been accused of showing favoritism to. The three, that have seen the inner workings of the supernatural. A glimpse that I would so long to see myself. A glimpse into how he raised a child from the dead. A glimpse, a glimpse of something that happened uh, on Mount Transfiguration when his spirit and flesh are wrestling and he's being changed. And then here uh, in Gethsemane when he submits to the will of God and his sweat falls like blood from his body. Peter, James... And John, the only ones asked to go, and yet they seem to have missed most of it. In the home of Jairus, they're asked, tell no man. Tell no man. Peter, James, and John, the only ones on the mountain, and they're asleep. They see a few things, and then they're told, what you saw, don't tell. And then Peter, James, and John, the only ones on Gethsemane, Pray, and they fall asleep multiple times. So I have a question for this astute audience. Who tells these stories? If Peter, James, and John are either sleeping or specifically told, don't you tell this. How do we know these things? If they're the only ones there. If they've sworn to a vow of secrecy. Who tells us the details in the room of the little girl's resurrection? Matthew, Matthew's one. Matthew tells us in chapter 9, Jesus went in and took her by the hand. How does Matthew know? Mark does in chapter 5. Mark says, and straightway the damsel arose immediately and she walked. And Luke says, and he looked at the girl and said, maid, arise. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But none of them are there. Who tells us about the Mount Transfiguration? Matthew. Matthew again. In chapter 17, his face shined as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. But Matthew was down the hill. Mark. Mark in chapter 9 said his raiment was shining exceedingly white as snow. And Luke, this is what Luke said. I like Luke personally. Watch this. Luke is the one who says, Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. Peter wanted to make sure you got that detail. I didn't get invited, but they were sleeping. Who tells the story of the prayer meeting with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? I'll tell you. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. You know what Matthew also says when Jesus found him sleeping the second time? Sleep on. Obviously, Peter, James, and John didn't tell that part. They were asleep. And Matthew made sure you knew. Jesus said, sleep on, sleepy heads. Mark tells us. That Jesus said these words, a little different. Mark says in chapter 14 that Jesus said to the sleeping disciples, take your rest. Luke says in chapter 22, you ready? Verse 42, and there appeared unto him an angel strengthening him. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's what Luke said. But now remember, Peter, James, and John are asleep. And then when they are awake, they said, don't we breathe a word. 
And I want you to see something. Peter never mentions one of these stories in his books. James never acknowledges it in his book. John says nothing about it in his writings. So my question for you is why are Matthew, Mark, and Luke telling us all these things? Only Matthew was nearby. Or was Matthew nearby? We don't know where Matthew is, only that he's not there. And remember, Luke is not a disciple. Mark is not a disciple. Luke is a convert of Paul, potentially. And, and Mark is a convert of Peter. So, so, so why does Mark tell it? Why does Luke tell it? And why does Matthew tell it? Because I thought there was these three, and they're the only ones invited. And they're told to be silent. I'll tell you how I see it. Jesus taught a principle in Matthew 5 that they all heard. And the principle's in verse 41, and it's very simple. And it says, and whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go two. Go farther than your ask. Give more than expected. Pray more than you feel. Worship more than seems possible. You see, when Jesus and his three disciples walked away, Someone evidently said, I'm going where they're going. You say, no, 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 Brother Tisdale. It's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave inspiration to the writers. They weren't there, but the Spirit told them what happened in the room, on the mountain, and in the garden. Perhaps you're right. But perhaps you've forgotten a little scripture, Mark 14, 51 and 52. Remember, only the three. On in the garden and the nine somewhere else resting. And yet, listen to this. And there followed him, Mark 14 and 51. A certain young man, no name, no specification, no identity revealed. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth. His PJs, his undergarments. Having a cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man, the soldiers, laid hold on him. Watch this, 52. You're going to like this, watch. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Go back, just go back to 51. Look at that first set. And there followed him, but you got to do 50. You ready for 50? Watch this. Uh, and they all forsook him and fled. That's your disciples. That's your three. But a certain man, a young man, with no name and no identity revealed, said, I'm not invited. I'm not part of the 12 and I'm not part of the 3, but I can't stay away from this thing. There's something happening in this man. There's something on this mountain and I just got to have it. I I crave it. As the writer said, as the doe panteth after the water, so panteth my heart after thee, O God. So the reality is very simple. I don't know who was there. I don't know who peeked through the window of Jairus' house, but it's more than plausible that someone was looking when they shouldn't have been looking. Someone was spying when they were inside. I don't know who records the details and who told them when he is at that mount of transfiguration but could it be possible someone is peeking through the bushes for there was someone in the garden watching the events of that night unfold and I wish I had a believer 
in Atlanta West that would say, I may have felt I never measured up. I may have felt insecure, forgotten, passed over, and not part of the club. But I'm going to get whatever I can get from Jesus Christ. I'm so passionate. I'm so hungry. I yearn for another level of His Spirit. I want the supernatural in my family. I want the power of God. So I got to see what's happening in that house. I got to peer through the windows and look through the bushes because there's something He has I want. I'll be honest. I feel a little bit like the man in Mark uh, who's never had his name mentioned uh, and no one knew who he was. I didn't come from a pastor's home. I don't have a lineage and a heritage in Pentecost. uh, But as a child, uh, I wanted something. uh, I heard about Jesus. Uh, As a young preacher, I said, I got to have more of that. Uh, I got to know something else. Uh, And if you are going to move into the supernatural, you cannot be ambivalent. Uh, You cannot be distracted. Uh, You cannot be casual. You cannot allow average commitment to overtake your life. But there's got to be a drive that says, I'll push through the crowd. I'll push past the cynicism of unbelievers. Come on, let the Spirit begin to push you a little bit. Let the Holy Ghost waken something in your soul. Let me make it very plain. Insecurity is insidious. It cloaks itself in the guise of comparison. And nothing can kill our effectiveness and feed insecurity like the spirit of comparison. That's why Paul said, compare yourselves among no men. Why? Because each of us in this room have unique giftings. You will never be me and I will never be you. You will encounter people I will never encounter. Don't you allow this world to make you feel inferior. Don't you allow your feelings of insecurity, the overwhelming urge of humanity to be accepted. Don't you allow it uh, to keep you from this altar. To keep you away from your passion and your connection to God. Now more than any other time in history. We are living in a culture of incessant comparison. Everyone only posts pictures of their best moments not their worst. Let me make it plain. Their Instagram feed is not reality. They have bad days. They have troubled days. They don't live on vacation. Everything's not perfect. Ah, we've got so many people interested in Facebook likes rather than whether Jesus Christ likes you. I refuse to get caught up in this culture and allow the enemy to tell me I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not invited. I can't have the miraculous. God can't use me. There's something in my soul that says I gotta have more. I'm ready for something else take me to a higher level move me to another dimension how many cycles of hear me completely avoidable and predictable defeat will we have to face before we get serious about replacing our faulty understanding of God's uh, love uh, with the reality of God's favor Jesus chose us Uh, John 15 and 16 he declared you did not choose me but I chose you And I'm not sure if we neglect that reality out of ignorance or habit. But it's time we move past that fear. But it's paralyzing us as a people. And rise to a new level of pursuit of the supernatural. We will forfeit the good things God would give us if we don't. 
When your perspective is loaded with the word of God, lies always lose their power over your life. That's why in Luke 4, Jesus is baptized in Luke 3. The Spirit speaks and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the first thing the adversary says in Luke 4, says, If thou be the Son of God, turn the stone to bread. Jesus' reply, because his Spirit was saturated with the Word of God, he said, Man does not live by bread alone. I don't live by what I can validate, authenticate, prove. I don't live by things I can smell, touch, or taste. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. you got to fill your with the understanding you're welcome here the ground at Calvary is equal you can have what anybody else has there's nothing kept from you you can do more and get closer to God than you ever thought possible you may never preach a sermon you may never lead a song you may never sing a solo you may always be in the pew you may be on the outside of what you think is the inside but you hear me no one can be any closer to God than you no one can pray more effectively than you you may not be the singer you may not be the talking head with a microphone but no one can have a closer relationship to God only if you allow it and I don't know about you I'm ready to know him in his holiness and his righteousness in his authority and his power when we finally understand uh, the eminence of God's friendship and we marry it with the wonder of hope and his authority and power and unshakable confidence will sweep over us as a people and we will not borrow that confidence from the ever-changing assessments uh, of people's opinions about us and we will instinctively Begin to offer our weaknesses as a platform for God's power. Instead of endlessly typecasting ourselves as someone God can't use. Because of our endless character flaws. Let me make it plain. You were bathed in delight and wonder before you were ever born. The writer says in Psalms. He knew me before my mother's womb. I was the delight of his eye before I was ever born. And I refused to allow the lies of this society to convince me otherwise I am the apple of his eye my name is written in the palm of his hand the hairs on my head are numbered I am above and not beneath the head and not the tail Let me make it plain. You think God's blessing you because you're trying to live right? God's not blessing you because you're trying to live right. God's blessing you because you got faith. The scripture says, and Abraham believed and God counted it as righteousness. You're not being blessed because of our futile attempts at holiness. God knows every dirty little secret you have. God knows every ugly little thought you ever thought. God's blessing you because somewhere you believed. If I but touch him, I shall be whole. Because you believed if I can get him to my house He'll resurrect my kids You ought to let out a worship in this place right now God knows what caused the defect in your life. God knows where it came from. And there are people in this house. You don't feel invited into the center of God's affection. But God would still re- 
release to you an anointing and an empowerment. Uh, understand this simplistic truth. Mark uh, is the, believed to be the first gospel written. It's the synoptic gospels. Mark was written first. Uh, and then Matthew and then Luke, we believe. That's why there seems to be a symmetry between those three books. But remember, Mark is not a disciple. And many theologians believe Mark is the little boy in the Garden of Gethsemane that's been tagging along the disciples and all the activities of Jesus. In fact, many believe that Mark's mama is the one that used the lent the upper room where the Holy Ghost fell. I don't know who it was, but I know this. You don't have to have a name written in a book to be a card of God's plan. You don't have to have the right parents, the right job, the right income, the right education. You just have to say, I'm going to be there when everybody else leaves. I'm going to be there when everybody else runs away. I wish I had somebody today who'd say, I want more of God. I want another level. I'm going to be there when others quit. We are an unstoppable force. And if we can ever come to this realization, the devil will not be able to dominate us and our minds with the kind of fears that control us most of the time. We could move forward in faith without being afraid of failure or rejection of the sacrifice required to obey God. And never again would we be, hear me, paralyzed by the condemnation or bullied by feelings of unworthiness. And at the end of each day, we could lay our head down on the pillow in perfect peace without a need to sow fig leaves over our life. Because we're not concealing anything or hiding anything. Because we've come to the realization, God loves me for who I am. My identity is not in my accomplishments. My identity is in Jesus Christ. We'd be nearly immune from discouragement. Immune from discouragement. Some of you do need an immunization from that. The enemy's tormenting your minds too much. We'd stop wondering if the sky was falling every time we faced a new problem. And the enemy would stop whispering, here it comes. I told you it wouldn't last. You hear this preacher. The devil is a lie and the father of every lie. We would begin to see our greatest obstacles... As our greatest opportunities. Instead there's a ceaseless war going on inside our heart and our minds. And we wage it every millisecond of every day, every hour, every moment. And weekends and nights it never stops. Most people go through life thinking God's not speaking. God doesn't have direction for their life. But I'll tell you this, God's always speaking. Always affirming, sometimes instructing, sometimes correcting, but we're hearing too little of what he says because our consciousness of God's voice is obscured by mental static. We're overwhelmed by feelings of unworthiness. We're overwhelmed by fear, hatred, frustrations, anger, jealousies, racisms. And the enemy's goal is to lure you into accepting what society would say about you, that you don't have value, that you can't be used of God, that you come from the wrong side of the tracks, that you can't give your talent, your resources, your giftings to God. And if you buy into that lie, we'll only see our faith move here and there with small fits and starts. And the lion's shares of God's good gifts will never truly become ours. And the fruit we bear for God's glory will be minimal. But the prophet Isaiah said, Here and your soul shall live. Jesus said, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, Matthew 5 and 41, go to. Reach higher. I'm 
challenging this church to reach higher in this next few weeks than you've ever reached before. I'm pushing for someone to speak more faith than they've ever spoken. To attain more, to aspire to be better, to survey the spiritual, to discover deep realms. To do more than is expected. To give more than is required. To dance past your own feelings. To worship without restraint. To speak faith without fear. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Simon Peter stepped out of the security of a boat and walked on water. A woman caught in the act of adultery depended upon his mercy. Another woman poured out oil representative of her savings and her shame in the company of Pharisees. She poured out her oil. Cornelius fought the religious impediment. A Samaritan woman refused to be called a dog and insulted and pursued on. Elijah preached to bones. Abraham climbed a mountain every step, frustrated and frightened. But as he laid his boy down, what he thought would be death came life and blessing. Stephen preached through the stoning of rocks. Paul shook off a serpent. Peter lifted up a cripple. Jacob wrestled all night. Joseph never lost his giftings in prison. David stood with nothing but a rag and a rock in front of a titan. And the truth is this. Most of us as believers are not in imminent danger of ruining our lives. We know how to live. We're facing a danger that's much greater. Wasting our lives. There's too large of a gap between what God says in His words and what we're seeing in our everyday lives. And I, for one, I'm going to peek through the windows. I'm going to look past the trees. I'm going to hide in the dark just to get close to Him. Whatever I have to do to hear something, see something, learn something, feel something, whatever it takes, I've got to have more. Stand to your feet right now. So this altar call today, it's not for everyone. If you're not interested in moving higher in God, don't come. If you don't want another level of prayer and anointing on your life and you're satiated and satisfied where you are, stay in the pew. I knew in writing and preaching this sermon it wasn't for all, although I dream and hope it will be. But this sermon is for those who feel something in their spirit and you just want more of God. You want what has been denied and what you've missed and what you haven't felt you could have, but you're just hungry for an anointing and an empowerment and a feeling and a deliverance you've never received. That's who this altar calls for. It's for those who say, Brother Tisdale, in this next few weeks of revival, I'm going to pray more than I've ever prayed in a revival. Brother Tisdale, I'll fast. I'll read the word. I'll give. I'll speak faith. I'll witness. I'll teach you. I'll do whatever i got to do. i just got to get more of God. That's who this altar calls for. So it's very simple. If you want something more, something extra, something different than what you have, This altar's open right now. Would you come?
Perhaps I need to help you a moment as you come. Everybody take a couple steps closer. There's many coming. Thank you. Free up some room in the aisles. If you're here and you've never asked God to forgive your sins, this is a big step. I want more. I want more. And make it, make it very plain. Salvation begins at repentance. All of heaven rejoices at the onset of your salvation and the choices you make to get closer to God. We tend to rejoice at the conclusions, but heaven rejoices at the inception. It's a big step if you've never asked God to forgive your sins. If you've never invited God in to be filled with His Spirit and be dramatically altered by His presence, if you've never spoken tongues, you can today. And that's a big step. If you've never been baptized and you choose to be, we have the water, we'd be honored to baptize you in the name of Jesus. That's a big step. All of those, you're moving forward. You're asking for more. You're reaching. Others, you've received the Spirit. You've, you've spoken tongues. You've been baptized. But life and its casualness is as a way to get us somewhat complacent with God's power and authority. And as we sang earlier, oh, he's awesome. I never want to lose the oh. I never want to lose the wonder. And I'm so hungry and thirsty and passionate for more God than I have right now. So here's what we're going to do as a congregation. We're just going to Position ourselves properly. We're going to repent of our sins and turn ourselves and orient ourselves the right way. Believers and guests alike. And as we do and we ask forgiveness, forgiveness is going to fall in this room on every person. Grace and mercy as we sang and opened this day. We're going to feel it. And the Spirit's going to fall on some of you that have never received the Spirit. You're going to speak in the tongues and you've never done that. You say, why? Because when you pray in English, you're in control. And when the Spirit takes over, He's in control. Others, you've spoken tongues before, but it's been a long time since you gave freedom for the Spirit to intercede for your brokenness. Romans 8 and 26. And the Spirit itself prays for our infirmities with groanings that cannot be understood. You're going to let the Spirit travail. Others, today... You're going to set some parameters. You're going to say, Lord, I'm going farther than I've ever been. And in response to that, the supernatural is going to visit you today, tomorrow, the next several weeks. And God's going to renew something in your spirit you haven't felt for a very long time. Do you believe me? Are you ready? We're going to pray together. And then as we pray, we're going to raise our hands in worship. And the Spirit's going to settle down in on this house. You ready? Put those hands up just like that. Close your eyes to limit the distractions. And I want you to pray with me. Say, Jesus, I want more. More of you than I have ever experienced. Forgive me. My complacencies. My fear. Forgive me if my appetite for you has been replaced by the cares of life. Forgive my sins. Forgive my attitude. Forgive my thoughts. Forgive my lifestyle. Forgive my nature. Forgive my desires. Anything that turns me away from your grace, your anointing, your power forgive me if I have believed 
the lies of this day that I'm not good enough, that you don't love me, that there is no purpose for my life. I believe I am not an accident. My life has value. My future is significant. I believe that as I ask, you will forgive me and reorient my life. Birth in me your spirit. Stir in me your life. Change me. Place me in your purpose and in your future. In the name of Jesus, I believe as I ask, you're forgiving my sins. Save me from myself and save me from my sins. I believe you're forgiving me right now. I receive my forgiveness. Go ahead. Tell him in your words right now. Tell him you're grateful. Tell him you're thankful. Tell him you don't deserve it. Turn yourself toward the Lord. Turn yourself toward the Lord right now. Come on. There you go. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But I raise my hands and I believe right now, God. I'm a sinner without you. I'm lost without you. But I raise my hands in faith to believe that you're forgiving me. You're shifting me. You're changing me. Forgiving sins. Forgiving complacency. Forgiving ambivalence. Forgiving doubt. Forgiving insecurity. Forgiving fear. Come on, that's it. Your hands are up. You're letting the Spirit communicate to you right now. Oh, there you go, there you go, there you go. Receive. Receive forgiveness right now. Receive forgiveness right now. We don't earn this. We believe this. We all don't, we don't do anything except give it to God. Come on, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. When I count to three, I want you to passionately pursue God with your words. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That was written to people that already had the Spirit. They already had encountered God. I'm going to count to three. You pursue God passionately. Are you ready? Are you ready? By the authority of the Word of God. By the sovereignty of the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Ghost in me and in you. Receive ye the gift of the Holy Ghost. Raise those hands. Let the Spirit begin to speak. You ready? One, two, three. Receive. Come on, there you go. Passionately, 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 passionately pursue the Lord. Come on, there you go. Pray, 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 pray. In the name of Jesus, there you go. There you go. You're praying with people around you. Come on, that's it. Go where you haven't been in a long time, believer. Go where you've never been, guest. Go where you haven't felt invited. Go where you don't feel you belong. Your name's not in the book. You're not a disciple. You're not a preacher. You're not a singer. You just want to see. You just want to know. 
Come on, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Come on, there you go, church, there you go.